Tuesday, August 23rd, just baseball show. Jack, Peter, all rookie team. We're talking about one guy at each position. We got a utility, we got two starters, we got two relievers that we want to talk about. These are the best rookies in baseball. And obviously, there's no first team, second team, third team, all rookie like we've got in the NFL. Um, but in Major League Baseball, it's fun because we're in a really good spot. And the talent pool is only getting better in baseball. And I think that this rookie class best exemplifies what we're looking at there. And you'll see the dichotomy between the two starting pitchers. I think that they are a perfect example of that. We'll get into that. It's what? It's 14 guys that we're going to talk about. Um, there were also some very funny happenings in baseball over the weekend. But first and foremost, Peter, you are not a mm-hmm. show and movie guy typically. No. I could not recommend the Manti Teo documentary more to you. Really? On Netflix? Yeah. Untold. It was the Manti Teo doc. It's two episodes, both about an hour. It was exceptional. Why was it so exceptional? Because, and the way I described it to a friend was, um, I actually just described it to Javier Reyes. We were doing State of the American League Central. State of the Division, by the way. Go check out that podcast, you know, that whole thing. Um, The way I described it was... To a lesser degree, this was the first notable occurrence of something that is commonplace now. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, something that was never commonplace, but like AIDS as a disease had this connotation. And Magic Johnson was the first very notable deity type guy to contract AIDS. First notable like straight man to contract AIDS. That changed the narrative about AIDS. Manti Teo, and again, much lesser severity, much lesser degree. Manti Teo was the first notable case of catfishing, and we didn't put it together in real time. Now, we know to stay away from those bots on Twitter or Facebook, even though a lot of them can present themselves as legitimate. But in 2010, in 2009, when this first interaction happened between Manti and this Renaya Tuyasasopo, who was behind Lene Kakua, like when this first interaction happened, Nobody knew what the word catfishing meant. Like that was not in anybody's vernacular. And now everybody knows what catfishing means. So it's, it's less a documentary about Manti Teo and like his football career, even though I loved watching Manti at Notre Dame. Um, It is more not football related whatsoever. And it's, this is a prominent figure who was catfished. So interesting because at the time, too, he was ridiculed. His name was ran through the mud. And I don't want to ruin the doc, but I feel like I kind of know the ending of the story. And I guess, spoiler alert, you can skip through this if you want to. I don't know maybe why you would. What are you spoiling? It already happened. I know, I know. But it is what I'm saying is, did he, it was a catfishing, so he, it didn't actually happen? You know what I'm saying? What do you like, mean? Was, was the... Was it not actually true what happened to him? No, it was entirely true. 
that whole story was true. I was under yeah, the assumption yeah, yeah. from like the memes because I haven't seen it yet that it ended up not being true and getting his name ran through the mud. No, no, no. Didn't you're do not him justice. It, you're not necessarily learning anything new about it. Right. You are you're just learning more details because if you had kept up with the Manti Tail saga during all this when he was going through his draft process, like you know what happened. And it was your choice to believe it or not. I think the narrative around that occurrence oh. changed a little bit. So, like, okay. you know, in essence, Manti Tail, Heisman Trophy runner-up to Johnny Manziel, took Notre Dame to the national championship as a middle linebacker. Like, incredible, incredible athlete. Had a girlfriend online. Apparently, she died of leukemia the same day his grandma died. That was the Notre Dame story. That was the story in college football that year. And it was the most resilient human being ever is also the best football player in America. And then it turns out that Manti was being catfished and this girl never existed. Like, you know, everybody knew that. Um, now, the way the narrative changed, like my perception of Manti Teo obviously had changed when I had taken a step back. But like in 2011, it was funny as hell. Like people were doing yeah. the Lene Kikua thing. Like they were pulling a Manti, putting their arm around nothing. Um, I had a Facebook profile picture um, when I was like, I don't know, a freshman in high school, sophomore in high school. And it was me and Manti Teo on the court at a Notre Dame basketball game. And the caption was me, Manti and Lene's on my right. And there was nothing on my right. It was just me and Manti. And then it was you all clever. Yeah, but like that was the that's what everybody yeah. did. It was like T-bowing and tailing. It was putting your arm around nothing because that was a joke. And then you watch this doc and you're like, wow, yeah, he was catfished, which is something that happens to a lot of people. That was obviously a horrible, horrible, horrible thing to happen to him and his family. He is forever crushed by it. Um, and, and the perspective that he has on the situation now is amazing. So I went from a guy that, you know, obviously respected the hell out of Manti Teo, still respects the hell out of Manti Teo, to this guy was wronged by so many people, including myself. That's and I want, what it is. yeah, and I want nothing but success for Manti Teo. That's what I meant. That's what I kind of meant by all this. That you you watched the documentary and you came through not having that opinion where you're making fun of him, but to you only want success for the guy because he got wrongfully wronged. Yeah, basically. I mean that makes sense. That that's where we're back to the connection part. Yes, and and such is the burden of life of a public figure, right? I mean, public figures their low points are made fun of by the overwhelming majority of the public. That's how it works. Joey Gallo situation as well as and now on the Dodgers. Look how good he's been doing. I mean, he looks exactly. right back to just the Texas version, the version that the Yankees thought they were getting. Speaking about the Yankees and speaking about documentaries, if you haven't watched the Derek Jeter documentary, I don't care yet. if you're not a Yankee fan, you have to go watch it. He also, he doesn't unpack the gift baskets story. Yeah. Um, I'm not going to spoil that. Definitely, because you got to go watch the documentary. But just to wrap a bow on some shows, because as you all know, I'm not much of a pop culture guy. I am busy in the weeds, and I just don't watch a lot of TV. You're in the I'll lab. You, you're in, in the, the lab. lab cooking up, surgically cooking in the lab. I'm a surgeon. I'm a lab technician. I'm a chemist. Yeah. All those. Yeah. But I recommended this show to you and Aram when we were in the same room for the first time in a very long time, which was awesome. It was so great to see you, my friend. And I said, go watch The Boys. Have you started that TV show yet? I have not. Uh, I finished the Teo doc. Um, the Boys is next on my list. I've got to watch The Boys, which is on Prime Video, and I have to watch The Bear on Hulu. 
because I started severance last night because of what you suggested. But I will say two episodes into severance, two episodes into the boys, the boys clears, clears, as the kids would say, solos. Is that, is that a thing? It's a thing. Fuck, dude. Go check out the boys on Amazon. It's it's about superheroes, but it's like political. It's funny. It's insane every single episode. So I just got through all three seasons, right? And the fourth is coming out. So we'll see. You know, we'll really compare this TV show to all the great TV shows that I've ever watched. And I'm not, you know, forgive me. I hope people tweeted me this morning like, oh, you're missing this show. You're missing this show and your top shows of all time. I've seen Game of Thrones. I've seen Breaking Bad. You know, I've seen a good amount of TV shows. Maybe not that many. Yeah. The Boys is number two to Breaking Bad. The Boys is number two to Breaking better Bad. Than gaming, better, better than Game of Thrones. That's a TV okay. show that a lot of people have seen. If you're looking for wow factor, it gives you that. The Boys is funnier. The Boys is more current. It's a phenomenal show. Okay. Absolutely phenomenal. Interesting. Um, I recently also just finished Stranger Things, and like that is near the top of my list. Very That's close. Great. To the top of my I've list. seen Stranger Things too. Boys solos, as the kids would say. Solos claps it clears. Stranger Things is caked compared to the caked. boys. <laughs> so not caked. surgical, not, in the <laughs> not lab. surgical. No, I mean Stranger Things got out of the lab. They were caked by a million. I mean. <laughs> I, the boys is like a megalodon. Um, yeah, for anyone unaware of what Jack, Jack's talking about, we've been teaching him gambling lingo as yeah. uh, we've been doing a bunch of prize picks. And um, the gambling lingo, I got to shout out our guy, Book It With Trent. He has created some of the funniest terms I've ever seen. So we have a writer on JustBaseball.com. His name is Javon, and he's been killing it on the prize pick space. And you know what, Trent? Because Javon has given him so many winners. He tweets out like, Javon, like, breastfeed us like give us the breast milk of the day like that is the <sighs> so funniest weird shit i'm never I've gonna ever use that uh, okay I, that one is a little much but he's invented caked he's invented the turkey tosser like you know when uh, like for example patrick corbin in his six seven five year age is tossing turkeys out there some of the lingo that trent does he ever win a lot of bets you know if you know him yeah. you probably know that story but the lingo give it up to my guy trent interesting he's phenomenal okay he's so he's laugh you just invented a new term, um, push piece. Uh, again, great partnership that Just Baseball has with Prize Picks. Use the promo code Just Baseball if you haven't already. Get a free full deposit match. So you deposit hundred bucks, you get hundred bucks on Prize Picks. That's just how that works. Uh, again, code Just Baseball. It's in our episode description. Go use that. Uh, you just put together something called a push piece, and. I understand your your typical thing that you do on prize picks. You try and make people money. Mm -hmm. The essence of a push, to my understanding, is you get that money back and you don't win anything. So yes. you pretty much are gunning for a tie with something that you put together, which defeats the purpose of anything. Um, and to that, I say, why did you do it? Did you just have some things that you were like, hey, this would be funny if we did? So... We host a Twitter space um, on my Twitter at PeterApple23. That is in the episode link description too. And it's really fun. We talk about all the props of the day on prize picks. And what's great is it's awesome if I put together my five favorite props for everyone to win, right? But it's really hard for me to bring five props that are going to hit. But you know what's not hard is when I bring my favorite 
another really smart baseball mind brings his absolute favorite. And we go around and we welcome a lot of people from the community. And that prize picks Twitter space is growing with a lot of really smart baseball minds. And a lot of big time people have now come in and start giving their picks as well. So we put out the ultimate and everybody knows about the ultimate. The ultimate is our five favorite bets of the day on prize picks. But the push piece, we're joking around because a lot of the lines that we liked are flat numbers. So for example, um, Jeffrey Springs over 17 and a half pitching outs is one of our picks today. If he goes six innings or more, that hits. If he goes five and two thirds, it doesn't hit. But why we put out the push piece is there was a lot of lines that we really liked that didn't have the 0.5. So there is no loser or winner. There's a possibility of it landing on that number. And we thought all of these were pretty sharp, but we have a possibility of winning on either side. So we put together our five favorite that is an even number. For example, friend of the program, Tucker Davidson, took over three strikeouts. If it lands on three... It pushes and you don't make or lose money, but we think there's a possibility that he strikes out four. So we put up the push piece and so far it's actually doing pretty well. So there's a very good opportunity that both hit and everybody walks home with some money. And if you want to play along with us, make sure you use the code just baseball on prize picks. But even if you don't want to bet any money, come to the Twitter space. Jack, you've been in it before. It's a lot of fun. And you get to hear a lot of different perspectives from a lot of different fans of different teams across the country. You get a real feeling of the vibe within that team. Like it's one thing to say, you know, Anthony Rizzo or, you know, for example, like Glaber Torres isn't hitting well right now. But as a Yankee fan, I might be able to tell you why he's not hitting well. Something like that. Not just I can look at the WRC plus and say that is what it is. But then you get to hear from maybe Cardinals fans about why Tyler O'Neill is a good matchup here. They're based on past history of what they see with their eyes. It's a very, very exciting time. And that's what the push piece was. And maybe it might hit. I love it. Uh, any rookies involved in the push piece or no? Um, I mean, you could call Tucker a rookie. Sort of, yeah. not really. The guy was in game five of the World Series, but he doesn't, I don't think he, I think this is technically his rookie season. Yeah, I think he's got rookie status. So there we go. Um, He is not on our all-rookie team. Another teammate, Reed Detmer, is not on an all-rookie team. But you know who is in the ultimate, and we're going to talk about the rookie team soon. And this is why I love these episodes, because we just get to hype people up. Yes. We just get to dive into the stats and be like, this guy is insane. Jose Miranda is Miranda. in our... The ultimate, not the push piece, the ultimate, because he rakes, and we're going to talk about him in a little while. There we go. Okay. Um, so we're jumping into the all-rookie team here. And again, we did every position. We did a utility guy, two starting pitchers, a setup guy, and a closer. No honorable mentions. No honorable don't, mentions. You don't get to get mentions. Sorry. Sorry. We're done with that. We're done with that. Done you can make that. it. Sorry, kid. No, it's next year. Like, it talked to us on Friday, like Friday, you know, positive energy. Maybe, Maybe you get honorable mentions, but now it's like respectfully eat, eat shit. Shut up. Yeah. Bitch. I, that's a bit <laughs> drastic. Sorry. Sorry. I was getting to the bit. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for leaning into the bit. That's what we need. We need more commitment to the bit from everybody in society. And then we will actually become that utopia that we pictured. Shit's caked. <laughs> utopia utopian uh expectations for the united yeah. states of america so caked so caked we're, <laughs> we're caked. so caked 
Um, all right, let's jump into the all rookie team here. Let's start at catcher. Clear as day. So ridiculously clear. Adley Rutschman has played in 73 games, and he is tied with Julio Rodriguez for the most F4 at three and a half. He is a three and a half war player through 73 games. J-Rod has played in 105 games. Adley is that much better. We talk pound for pound fighting in boxing, like pound for pound. Typically, a lightweight fighter is the best in the world because you can't put Manny Pacquiao up against Tyson Fury in their prime, right? Fury would, you know, one punch and Pacquiao's done. But when you fight similar weights, that's when you know who's truly dominant. Floyd Mayweather, greatest pound for pound boxer of all time. This year, Adley Rutschman is the greatest pound for pound rookie in Major League Baseball. Is there a chance that he does not win AL Rookie of the Year and he gets blown out of the water if J-Rod comes back and plays 20 more games? Absolutely, yes, because games played does matter in the Rookie of the Year voting. But Adley Rutschman has been, since he debuted, far and away the best rookie in baseball. 73 games, Adley's hitting 259 with a 366 OBP, a 14% walk rate, an 18% strikeout rate. Again, three-and-a-half war guy. Adley Rutschman, eight bombs, 25 driven in. I mean, he is a doubles machine right now. What's he looking at in terms of doubles? He's got 24 doubles in 73 games. Leads rookies. I mean, he is, not to mention, he is one of the best defensive catchers in the game right now. Yep. The argument could be made, and I think won relatively quickly, that since he has come up, Adley Rutschman is the best catcher in the American League and either one or two in best catcher in baseball because Will Smith has been really good over the last couple of months. I may have boofed. I put out on Twitter, so about 64 games, and I just saw a bunch of stuff on Twitter that Adley Rutschman is already the best catcher in baseball. And I thought to myself, I've been through this before, right? Juan Franco comes up, unreal, 20 years old. Make the jokes. Like Juan Franco, when he's Juan Soto's age, is going to be amazing. Everybody said that before. Juan Soto, I mean, Juan Franco, but then he got hurt, right? And then there was a couple of things here and there that he didn't perform to the level that we might have thought. And some of the batted ball data might not have matched up with Juan Franco. Maybe we got a little bit too ahead of ourselves. And I kind of said that about Adley. I said, let's pump the brakes a little bit. Let's let pitchers make adjustments to this kid. But Jack... How do you adjust to him? Because he does everything well. He hits fastballs. He hits breaking balls. He's one of the best receivers of the ball in baseball from the catching position at the age of 24 years old. He's got a cannon, 80th percent on pop time. Doesn't chase, walks a shit ton. He's in the 73rd percentile of max exit below. So when he gets a hold of it, he's in the upper quarter. Is he fast? Kind of. 50th percentile in sprint speed. This may be one of the players, and I think there's another one. But of all rookies, is he not the safest bet we've seen in a very long time to be at least a very good catcher? I'm not, and I'm also not going to say, yes, he's the best catcher in baseball. Will Smith, in my opinion, still is. But if we're talking about in the American League, hard not to. Every other prized young catcher had flaws, Um, right? Like, I don't – 
you know, Alejandro Kirk was not that prized of a catcher, but there were like a bunch of catchers that were, oh, the bat's great, but how's the defense going to translate? That was Will Smith's thing when he first came up. It was, oh, the bat's obviously phenomenal, but he's not that great of a defensive catcher. We'll see and if that transforms. still not that great of a defensive catcher, Will Smith. I mean, how he rates and even just watching Will Smith. Right. I kind of get upset with Will Smith sometimes because I'm like, frame the ball, dude. I mean, just be a better receiver of the ball. The high strike, he can't grab it. I mean, he's he's not as good of a low ball receiver. Like Jose Trevino, in my opinion, is the best receiver of the low strike in baseball. But like you watch Adley do it. He's almost as good at such a young age. And all we hear about Adley from behind the scenes is how mature he is, how well he speaks with his rotation. I mean, it's just... He's an incredible young player. And if you just go by like, you know, something as simple and as easily digestible as pop time, which is think of it as pop to pop. So catcher smacks their glove, smacks the covering second baseman or shortstop's glove at second base. I mean, Adley is one of the best catchers in baseball in terms of pop time, too. So like there I don't think we've seen a guy since Maurer that is as clean mm. overall like as all around good a catcher as Adley Rutschman and and Posey got to factor this in real what? good Posey was real Buster good. I mean as a receiver really of the ball I I just think about what would happen with Posey's career if he didn't get if he didn't have that leg injury I mean now we have the rule where you can't block the plate because he broke his leg I mean I think that took a year or two maybe three off of his career I think that was a big issue too but I mean, yeah, you think of Posey, you think of Maurer, all around great catchers in the past decade. I mean, that's that's the kind of company that this kid could sit in. And, and here's the thing. The catching position's getting better. Like Moreno is going to be getting everyday reps. Francisco Alvarez is going to be getting everyday reps. There are other guys that are a little bit farther off in baseball. I think Shea Langoliers can be a top 10 catcher in baseball pretty soon. Um, mm -hmm. But there are guys that are farther off that are really good at the lower levels. Logan Ohapi has turned into a great catching prospect. Uh, Drew Romo in the Rockies organization has turned into an excellent catching prospect. Obviously, Henry Davis, last year's number one overall pick, has the chance to be a great catcher. But this is the worst position in baseball right now. And the best rookie in baseball since Adley debuted is borderline best catcher in baseball and that is a very weak position uh real quick before we move on to first base al rookie of the year odds right now j-rod still the leader at 350 minus 350 adley second at plus 280 i don't think those odds shift too much i think it's j-rods i still think he has it in the bag but if he has this like last six weeks from hell and adley continues to do adley things you know, like if you are forecasting the downfall of Julio Rodriguez from August 23rd on, be my guest and, and put a little bit of stuff down on Adley. The thing is, we're going to talk about Julio Rodriguez later and you're going to be like, I don't know if I want to doubt that man. But let's yeah, move exactly. on. Let's move on to first base. This guy just rakes. The best rookie at first base this year is Jose Miranda of the Minnesota Twins. Yeah. We could talk about defense. He plays a little bit of first. He plays a little bit of third. We're putting him at first base because... That's where he plays mostly. He's in the 20th percentile of outs above average. He doesn't rate very well as a defender. I don't really care because the dude freaking breaks. He's third in OPS among rookies with at least 60 games played this year. Rocking a 132 WRC plus. He's hitting 284, 474 slugging percentage. He's third in WRC plus on his own team. 
And why that matters is the Minnesota Twins are one of the best offensive teams in this sport. And who is fourth? Carlos Correa, the guy who we thought make it a 10-year deal, one of the most coveted free agents in the class, a guy who is one of the best hitters at the shortstop position in general, but obviously gets a ton of, ton of, you know, love and support from his defense and deservedly so, but he can still hit the ball. But Jose Miranda this year has been a better overall hitter by WRC plus than Carlos Correa and Byron Buxton. He's in the 76th percentile on hard hit rate. And unlike most rookies, Jack, he's not a boomer bust guy. He doesn't strike out much. He's in the 59th percentile in K rate, 66th percentile in whiff rate. This is a very well-rounded hitter. And I want to give Arm a lot of credit too, and you as well, because both of you have been connected with this guy now for a long time as a dude who just never got his due in the minor leagues. One of those guys that, you know, may not look like the sexiest option because he's not really going to steal bases for you. He's not going to run that fast, but he's going to be one of those guys that year in and year out just hits and hits and hits. And Jose Miranda is showing that in his rookie year. And while he most likely will have to make adjustments, this is a guy who makes consistent hard contact. It's loud. And more often than not, it goes over the fence as he has double-digit home runs. Yeah, all right. 15 doubles, 13 pumps. And, and he's got a low strikeout rate. Um, he but was... To that point, he hasn't played that many games. He hasn't played as many games even as like a right. Julio Rodriguez. I think he's played less games than Adley. I think he's at 82 games, uh, okay. Jose Miranda. 83 games. He's hitting 282 with a 799 OPS. Um, what Miranda does offensively for them was like so badly needed because this team is transformed. You think 2019 Minnesota Twins, when they get bounced in the ALDS by the Yankees, that was a team that was just hitting a home run like three times a game. And, you know, that's where their runs came from. It felt like 100% of their runs came via the long ball. It was never stringing a bunch of hits together. That's not really Minnesota's MO this year. Byron Buxton's got 28 pumps. But aside from that, Arise has been the best hitter for them. Celestino has been good for them. And Celestino, another guy that missed our all-rookie team here. Uh, they've got a lot of guys that are hitting a lot of singles, but they need a run producer. And 53 RBIs in 83 games is pretty solid from Jose Miranda. So he is a very good bat-to-ball run producer. He's nowhere near the power proficiency that this guy is. But what Jose Miranda supplies to that lineup feels very Pete Alonso-esque, where Alonso doesn't punch out all the time. But what Alonso does is he is a situational run producer. And I think yes. that's what Jose Miranda will turn into. He will turn into a situational run producer. I totally agree with you. Instead of using Pete Alonso, because Pete Alonso is a guy who can hit 40 home runs. Right. I don't think Jose Miranda will ever get there. I more lean Jose Abreu in his division. Yes. Situational run producer, Jose Abreu. That's perfect. Right? Because he could hit 30 home runs one day. I don't know if he will, but I definitely wouldn't put it past him. I know he was putting up Gaudi home run numbers in the minor leagues, but another guy. It's 277 off fastballs, 269 off breaking balls this season, and 341 against off-speed pitches. Just can kind of hit everything, hard to adjust to him, and just puts consistent balls in play when there's runners in scoring position. More often than not, he's going to deliver. Very similar to a Jose Abreu. Yeah, that is a perfect comp for Jose Miranda. Jose Abreu, situational RBIs galore. That's what Miranda does. 
Um, our second baseman is, I guess, half second baseman, half outfielder. Our other option here would have been Nolan Gorman, but Christopher Morell has been a better rookie than Nolan Gorman. Christopher Morell, what he has done for the Cubs with a 780 OPS in 78 games is inject life and inject fun into a Wrigley field that was sparse of fun at the beginning of the year. I think everybody knew among Cubs fans, among people that followed the game, that while the Cubs didn't necessarily brand themselves as a rebuilding team, they weren't going to be a good team this year. You could see that in the rotation. You could see that in the lineup. They were going to be a bit starved for talent. And Morrell was a guy that kind of came out of nowhere. Nobody really had him on many top prospect lists. Like he was in the back end of the top 30 in all sorts of publications. And he was not a guy that was sniffing the top 10 for us when we were going into this year. And what Morrell has done this year is run like hell. 90th percent on sprint speed. 90th. I mean, fast as shit. I think recorded throws from the outfield. He's got three of the five hardest throws from the outfield or something like that. Like he's got an absolute hose. And oh, by the way, he can provide some serious thump. Does he swing and miss all the time? Yes. Is he he sporting like a 31% K rate? Yes. Is he chasing every pitch? Yes. You know who else did that? Javier Baez. You know who's kind of as exciting as Javier Baez was in Chicago? Christopher Morrell. I'm not saying that he's, you know, going to put together that like finish second in MVP voting like Javier Baez did or third in MVP voting, but Morrell provides this chance for something amazing to happen every time you go to Wrigley Field and every team, regardless of if you're winning or not, needs that. You got to sell tickets. Morrell is a ticket seller and he is one of the best rookies in baseball this year. I agree the production has been good, but there are a couple of things that Morrell scares me about. Defense. You're talking about the hose. The hose is for real. I didn't know we had the top throws on the outfield. I've seen him throw. He has a cannon, but not a very good defender. Fourth percentile and outs above average. I've seen it with my own eyes being betting on Cubs games. The dude drops fly balls. Like I can't. I can't have that. Morrell. Morrell. When I have an under Morrell. We'll get through it because a lot of things are looking up for him. He has 12 home runs and nine stolen bases. Could he be a guy in baseball who has around a 770 to 800 OPS year in and year out because he does hit for some power? And, you know, he doesn't walk a lot, but he's in the 54th percentile of walk rate. So he doesn't have like this terrible approach. He'll still take his walks. And if he could walk around... What what's he walking at right now? Like he's walking at an eight point six percent rate. If he's if he's a nine percent walk guy, who hits fifteen home runs and steals fifteen bags and hits around two sixty with some you know with some doubles mixed in, I mean that's a valuable player. And I think much and the thing is it's a lot better than I think a lot of people gave him credit for when he came into the league because again this guy's twenty three years old. He's getting his first taste of big league ball he could get even better and figure out some of this stuff and be a potential 2020 guy. Like I'm not putting it past him. He's got the speed to do it and he's got the power to do it. We're talking about an 89th percentile in max exit velo. I mean, that's better than Adley this year. The guy can hit rockets when he puts barrel on ball. There's just some things to work out. Like for Miranda, there's not a lot of things to work out at the plate for Adley. There's literally nothing to work out at anywhere. But for Morrell, there is some discipline type things, but 
there's a lot more excitement there with Morel than maybe a Miranda is. And what what spells success for Morel, I think, is is how he hits fastballs. Um, Christopher Morel, you know, rookie, see more fastballs than like proven veterans. He's hitting 292 against fastballs. He's slugging over 500, and he's got the highest launch angle against fastballs of any pitch. So he's he's putting a nine degree launch angle swing, which like is an elevated line drive. He's putting the perfect swing on all the fastballs that he sees and all the fastballs that he puts in play. And that's, that's often if you're a 300 hitter with a 500 slug at a nine degree launch angle on fastballs, that means you can be a fastball matcher. And with him, with how much he swings and misses, he's going to see some fastballs. Now he might go through like a two, three game stretch next year where he sees two fastballs and 25 breaking pitches. And you got to adjust here. I think there's a chance that when pitchers do figure out the book on him this offseason, figure out the whole book, because they're obviously already trying to figure out the book, um, when they figure out the whole book and when they have a concerted plan of attack against him, I think there's a chance that he tapers off, but we got to acknowledge what he's done so far this year. I totally agree with you. Production has been there, but... I, I'm not fully buying into the Christopher Morrell show yet. No, I'm buying into his excitement. He makes me want to go to Wrigley. As I totally agree with you there. Let's move on to third base because this guy has played 71 games at shortstop of 44 games at third base. But we're going to put him at third base for this exercise because we have another shortstop who we're going to talk about in a second. It's Bobby Wood Jr., the Kansas City Royals at third base. Best rookie there. Here are the issues with Bobby Wood Jr. and his rookie year. Here are the issues. First, let's remember 22 years old. Adley Rutschman is 24 years old. Bobby Wood Jr. is 22. Bobby Wood Jr. doesn't walk. He's a 4.8% walk rate. Doesn't walk. Chases a lot. Below average defense all around. Negative 16 defensive runs saved at shortstop. Negative four at third base. Has not been the defender that we thought he could be when he's debuted. But there are a lot of sick positives. In his rookie year, he's a lock to be a 2020 guy. He has 16 home runs and 23 stolen bases. He could end up being a 2030 guy. And he's second in doubles to Adley Rutschman. And something that I noticed with Bobby Wood Jr. that doesn't make sense. He has a very low batting average on balls in play at 292. And when you look at his speed as one of the fastest in the sport, he's getting a bit unlucky because his quality of contact, while he ranks in the 48th percentile in hard hit rate, when he hits the ball, it's juiced. 75th percentile of average exit velocity, 92nd percentile of max exit below. And I put out a TikTok earlier this season where we were comparing O'Neill Cruz to Bobby Wood Jr. And there was about 70 comments because we made a we made a comment that Bobby Wood Jr. is faster than O'Neill Cruz is. He is. You look at every single metric, Bobby Wood Jr. has a faster home to first, more bolts, higher sprint speed. I know bolts is a result of how many times you reach the 30 feet per second threshold. Yeah. But at the end of the day, he's reaching it at heights that I don't even know if O'Neill Cruz is going to get there. And when you look at the percentile rankings of sprint speed, Bobby Wood Jr. is a hundredth percentile. He's Trey Turner-esque. That's what he is. At Bobby Wood Jr.'s peak, he can hit the ball as hard as anyone 
and he can run as fast as anyone. I do believe he's going to improve as a defender because he was better in the minor leagues. The positional moving around probably hasn't helped, but as a shortstop, he hasn't been a good defender. So we moved him to third in our all-rookie team. But overall, you look at the body of work for Bobby Wood Jr. with a 724 OPS. He has a 250 batting average, like I said, 16 home runs, 24 stolen bases, 60 RBIs on a Royals team that could use run producers. It's second, it's third in the lineup. I mean, Bobby Wood Jr. is as exciting of a young prospect, but just has some holes to fill in his game before fully unleashing the Trey Turner comparisons that I think we and some other people are giving him. Correct. Whether you like it or not, Bobby Witt Jr. is one of the most talented players in baseball already. And and mm-hmm. it's just got to click for him. Like he's just got to tap into the consistency, which uh, and I think Aram did a great job on this is going to take time. Like I was thinking he was just going to hit the ground running. I I think I said like during the offseason, Bobby Witt Jr. will be the unanimous American League Rookie of the Year. And it, I was wrong about that. Um because there's an acclimation process that needed to be had for Bobby Witt. Um, that was the case for Julio for a month. That was not the case for Adley Rutschman. That was like Julio for like a day. Like it was Julio for like two years. weeks. When, <laughs> that was Julio for two weeks when the like robo weekend. Just, he needed the robo up so bad. Um, but yeah, like Aram said that there was going to be an acclimation process here. We're seeing the acclimation process, but the spurts that we're seeing and and what he has done to overcome the growing pains of being a rookie in Major League Baseball, you're right. He's still going to put together a 2020 season. Yes. Like he's he's playing badly and just walking into a 2020 season. Yeah. That's how good he is. That's crazy. Like when you look at a guy like Trey Turner, Trey Turner can't hit the ball as hard as Bobby Wood Jr. And Bobby Wood Jr. is as fast as him. Right. I That's also think we're dealing with here. You also mentioned the defensive numbers like he's not great defensively. I think a lot of They're that has to do with flat. him playing third and short. Agree. I think once he finds one position, he's just going to get immediately better. And he's been better at third base this year. I mean, it's in 41 games compared to 77. But like the number like negative 16 defensive runs saved to short. He's in the second percentile of outs above average. He has been a very, very bad defender this yeah. year. And I even spoke about him on a gambling advice that the eye test didn't exactly match the numbers. And using the term eye test is pretty gimmicky. But basically what I mean by that is I see a good defender in him is what I mean by that. Like you can tell he has incredible range. He's got a phenomenal arm. He's got a hose there at shortstop. That's what I mean about the eye test is that I see a good defender, whether or not the stats back it up. But the stats would say that he's been terrible this year. He's going to be a good defender. He's going right. to be a good defender. I promise he's too athletic to not be a really good defender. Uh, one of the best defenders in baseball is the shortstop on our provisional all-rookie team at this point on August 23rd. Jeremy Pena has kind of had a tale of pre-All-Star break and post-All-Star break. Mm-hmm. Um, this is another guy that has tapered off. But what he still does to impact the best team in the American League is so ridiculously impressive. Jeremy Pena, pre-All-Star break, had a 764 OPS. That's dropped about 200 points post-All-Star break. In 123 plate appearances, he's got a 572 OPS. So the bat's not there. But when the bat was there, we were looking at one of the best offensive rookies in baseball. And oh, by the way, he's one of the fastest dudes in baseball and easily one of the best defensive shortstops in all of baseball. And still, 
Jeremy Pena among rookies ranks fifth in F4. So yep. it's hard to argue with that. There's so much value defensively here. We're going to get to another guy who's so freaking valuable defensively here, but it, it's really a blessing. And we'll continue to say it um, until Jeremy Pena really does become the shortstop for the Astros and not the heir to the Correa throne. Like he already is the shortstop for the Astros, but it, it still feels like he is the replacement for Carlos Correa. Which is you fine. Can't, you can't ask for a better replacement for Carlos Correa than Jeremy Pena. He replaced him on defense. He just hasn't really replaced him on offense yet. Right. But at the end of the day, Jeremy Pena is 24 years old, too. He, first of all, 94th percent on sprint speed, 94th percent on that's above average. So he's got two well above average tools. You can give him a third with that arm. It's just the hit and the power. And when we're looking at Max Exavilo, he's a 70th percentile guy. So when he puts bat on ball at the peak, he's in the upper third in baseball. Have you done a concrete F4 comp between Jeremy Pena and Carlos Correa? Is Jeremy Pena higher? Pena comes in at 2.3. Correa comes in at 2.2. Ah, (laughs) that's how good of a defender he's been. Because Correa's been a good defender this year. He has four defensive runs saved, or five, I think, for Minnesota. But that's how good Jeremy Pena has been defensively that he can get to that point. And over the full season, he's a 705 OPS, guys, in 246. 99 WRC plus. 99 WRC plus. So if you can get league average offense and elite defense, like, for example, Jeremy Pena has been a better player probably than Bobby Wood Jr. has because of the elite defense and average offense compared to Bobby Wood Jr., who sits below a 110 WRC plus. He's 101. 101. More gouty home runs, stolen base totals. But Jeremy Pena has 16 home runs. That's the, What did I say? Gaudi. Sometimes I get... I, I know you got a buddy, Gaudi, but Gaudi. 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 16 home runs, seven stolen bases for our guy, Jeremy Pena. So when he's been figured out, because he can't hit breaking balls very well, I can pull up the stats right now, um, but at least I know that. Yeah, if we're looking at breaking balls, he's hitting 226 off breaking balls, 149 off off-speed pitches. I mean, that's not very good. The book is kind of out. You just got to spin him to death, you know, throw him a bunch of change-ups, and he's rolling over. Um, like right now, he's got a 46.8% ground ball rate. Um, and I know that's only ticked up in the past couple of months. That's the book, and now it's up to him to figure it out. But he's already figured out the defense. He's one of the fastest. He's going to be a really good player for a really long time because he's safe. Like Even if he doesn't hit, he's still got the power, and he's only going to get better offensively. Yeah, Um, so he is just dreadful against off-speed. I was waiting to pull up O'Neal, what O'Neal's doing against breaking balls. It's not good. Oh, my God. O'Neill Cruz. Oh my God. In like we rave 60, about him. in yeah, but like in 65 at bats, he's six for 65 with 43 strikeouts against breaking pitches. So he's hitting 092 with an 092 slugging against breaking balls. The reason why O'Neill Cruz is so polarizing, you said it best. At his peak. He can run just as fast as anyone. He can hit the ball as hard as anyone. He can throw the ball faster than anyone. P 
peaks are just inconsistent. Like they're just not here all the time. And, and I, I do think it's impossible for peaks to be consistent like that, but O'Neill Cruz might be the most talented athlete on planet earth. Definitely the most talented baseball player on planet earth, not named Shohei Otani, but it, it's just the peak is the peaks are inconsistent at this point. And it's probably humanly impossible for the peak to be consistent. Like Jacob deGrom, I mean, the peak is consistent, but he's never on the field. So, you know, we need to see deGrom throw 200 innings like this. And then we can prove that it's humanly capable to be at peak athletic performance for an 162 game season. Once deGrom does that, I'll believe that O'Neill Cruz can do it. Fair? Fair. Okay. Let's talk about steady Eddie in left field. His name is Stephen Kwan, the best left fielder of any rookie so far. He plays all over the outfield. He's played center. He's played right field. But he's got 16 defensive runs saved in left field this year. Walks more than he strike out. Hitting 301 with a 373 on base percentage. He's second among all rookies in OBP. And, of course, he's first in batting average for those that qualify. The only issue with Stephen Kwan is that he doesn't hit the ball that hard. If you're a big mags eggs of ELO guy, if you're an average eggs of ELO guy, he's in the first percentile of hard hit rate. You can bag on him if you want, but he's so freaking disciplined. He makes so much consistent contact and he's got great speed, 82nd percentile in sprint speed, and he's got 12 stolen bases already. There's nothing on the baseball field. I mean, you could dive into the hard hit rates, whatever, that he doesn't do well besides power. He's got speed. He's got bat to ball. He's one of the better defenders in all of baseball in the outfield. He doesn't strike out at all. He doesn't swing out of the zone. Incredibly disciplined. 100th percentile in whiff rate. 100th percentile in K rate. What's not to love about Stephen Kwan? Probably the most underrated rookie in baseball because he should be getting talked about with the Adleys and the Julios. Like he's been better than Bobby Witt. He's been better than Jeremy Pena. Maybe the F war doesn't, I mean, you're, you have F war pulled up right now. I'm not sure exactly where he lines up in F war, but I'm saying even if he doesn't, he belongs in the same room as the Julios and the Adleys for AL rookie of the year. Um, the odds are so far off because I know. of the two horse race. Um, and he, he does not impact the ball in the way that like he, you know, in the way that like a rookie of the year should be impacting yes. the baseball. Yes. Um, but let me just say, he has three home runs. Yeah. He's got three pumps. Uh, but in terms of like just straight up whiff rate in terms of swinging strike percentage, the three lowest swinging strike percentages in major league baseball, Luis Arise one. Stephen Kwan two, Miles Straw three. Like he is actually behind Luis Arise, the second best bat to ball human being in baseball in 2022. And the thing uh, is, the difference between like a guy like Miles Straw is Miles Straw just hits like a ground ball. I mean, he's not hitting anything. Yeah, but a guy no, like I mean, Luis Arise is hitting line drives. A guy like Stephen Kwan is too. Kwan's got and, 19 doubles. And Kwan is so freaking clutch. Yes. Always comes through. Always when I got the Guardians on the run line or whatever I got him at. Always my guy. So mm. this is going to be a deep cut comp. Very deep cut. Mm. Very. 
Uh, if you're a college basketball head, Stephen Kwan is Tyler Eulis. Hmm. You remember Tyler Eulis at Kentucky? Somewhat. You'll have to so remind me in the audience if we don't. He was. Do you remember when Kentucky had like, you know, that that group of 10 guys and Cal ran out two teams like he called him like white team and blue team. And it would just be like line changes. Every sub mate that was like Carl Anthony Towns, Willie Cauley Stein, Trey Lyles and the Harrison twins on team A. And then team B was fucking Devin Booker, Tyler Ulis, uh, and a couple other guys. And they were perfect. Um, I think they were perfect. Yeah, they were perfect until the final four when they lose to Wisconsin. And Booker was on team two with Tyler Ulis. Ulis was the point guard. And obviously Booker is incredibly, incredibly talented. Tyler Ulis was talented, but what made him one of the best point guards in America was this dude is 5'9 and a skinny 5'9. He was a fine jump shooter. He was a fine passer. He never made a mistake. Like his assist to turnover ratio was in- incredible. He played perfect basketball. Yes. Stephen Kwan plays perfect baseball. Yes. He played in 107 games, 43 walks, 42 punch outs. I'll say it with Connor Joe hitting his, uh, I mean, like Connor Joe, I just love because of the determination and like yes. the tenacity of what he does. Stephen Kwan. dogging him. But, but like Joe, I mean, Joe got like literally returned from a waiver claim because they didn't want him that bad. And yeah. like he, he's had a career that was just like, what the hell? How did you manage that adversity? And he did it. And he's carved out an everyday role in a big league lineup. Stephen Kwan from like an aesthetically pleasing standpoint is my favorite guy to watch in Major League Baseball. How much different is he than Kenny Lofton? Lofton was a better athlete. Crazy good athlete. Yeah, yeah like a freaky good athlete. Uh, I'm just thinking about guardian center fielders and just being like, oh, Kenny Lofton was such a beast. I'll tell you his career K rate. Kenny Lofton. Um, Maybe that's not a good comp, but I just like. No, I mean, Kenny Lofton that had came a, to my mind. Kenny, <laughs> Kenny Lofton, 10.2% walk rate in his career, 11% K rate in his career. Uh, Juan, Juan's at 9% in each, around 9.4 and a 9.5, 9.5% walk, walk rate, 9.3% K rate. Okay. Yeah. So, like, I mean, Lofton was just a way better athlete than Stephen Kwan. Yeah, but if, if we're talking about how they rate defensively, I mean, Stephen Kwan has been a dog out there in left field. Yeah, but I mean, like, I just think what Kwan does as a table setter, like see all these pitches, work 10 pitch at bats, yes. never go down via punch out, get on base at a three at a 373 clip. He's, he's so ridiculously fun. He's, he's awesome. so fun. Yes. Let's move on to center field. Yeah, so center field, and our rookie of the year, Michael Harris is the best defensive center fielder in baseball right now. Who else is there? Ashe. <laughs> um, shit. I'm trying to think of somebody who's better right now. Um. I'm pulling up the fielding metrics right now. Yeah, do that. Outs above average? Yeah, an outfield, that's probably the best one to use. 
Um, Miles Straw. He's pretty good. And then Michael Harris is second. Yeah. Among outfielders and outfielders. Where's Cody Bellinger? Um, Let's see. Among center fielders in outs above average. Miles Straw, Michael Harris, Brandon Nimmo, Cedric Mullins, Julio freaking Rodriguez, and Cody Bellinger. Okay, so Cody is up there because I I thought he's just been so nails out there. Yeah. So what Michael Harris does so well is he is an elite, elite, elite defensive center fielder. He should win the gold glove along with the rookie of the year if his teammate Spencer Strider doesn't win it. Um, But Harris... With how good he is defensively, he impacts the shit out of the baseball offensively. Michael Harrison in 76 games, 17 doubles, 12 homers, slugging 493, 813 OPS. He's a perfect 15 for 15 in the stolen base department. He is one of the better athletes in baseball, one of the better young outfielders in baseball, and he will be financially compensated as such over the next eight years. Um, Atlanta's in a great spot with him. And Acuna has a spot in right. When Acuna first came up, I know there was some dialogue about having him be the center fielder, but they found it with their 2019 high school draftee and Michael Harris, youngest player in Major League Baseball. He's got a bag, deserving of a bag. A couple concerning things offensively. He doesn't walk. Doesn't walk and he K's a lot and he doesn't hit breaking balls at all. But he motherfucks fastballs. Yes. That's... When you are hitting 369 against fastballs, I'm going to use that you MF some fastballs. And that's what this man, Michael Ta- Michael Harris, does. Thinking about Michael A. Taylor. Yeah. Michael Harris, who's way fucking better than Michael A. Taylor. If we're talking about guys who are just like, can run all over the outfield, he's got 94th percentile in sprint speed, 91st percentile in outs above average, 88th percentile in max exit below. He hits the ball as hard as anyone. He runs as fast as anyone, and he can field with the best of them. Michael Harris, when he barrels a baseball, is one of the more surprising barrels in baseball. I've seen this man go left center, high and out, 97 and above. And it gave me, and he I don't think he'll ever be as good a hitter as this, as this guy will. But he was doing things at this age, at 21 years old, that high and away fastball driving it to left center that I remember that Rafael Devers did. Yeah. Again, not talking that Michael Harris will ever be the hitter that Rafael Devers, but he has like that ability where you're not really going to get anything by him, but you can spin him to death. What Devers does now is no matter what you throw in the strike zone, He's going to hit it to the freaking moon. But at the end of the day, Michael Harris is 21 years old. And there's a reason he was promoted so quickly up to the big leagues because he's clearly mature beyond his years. I have full, I fully believe that he's going to be able to figure out this, this discipline problem at the plate where he swings a lot and he swings and misses a lot and he doesn't walk. He's going to make adjustments and he is, like, he's got that Devers in him, if you know what I mean. Yeah, and what I will say is I don't know if it'll ever get drastic enough to the point where, like, he needs, needs, needs to fix it. You know no, what I mean? because if, he, 
motherfucks fastballs. Yeah, he slugs 713 against fastballs. It's incredible what he's doing against fastballs right now. Um, what I I just don't like necessarily see a world where Harris doesn't make a correction if guys are not throwing him strikes. Um, and I I think your point is perfect. He and a young Rafi Devers are like in recent memory, two of the better bad pitch hitters in baseball like Harris will go up and meet an eye high fastball and send it over the wall dead central there was a homer he hit dead center that was like neck high yeah he he can get pitches out of the strike zone and hit them with authority um it bodes well for him it doesn't necessarily mean that the Braves like him doing it but what Michael Harris has proven is he's one of the best young outfielders in baseball and that is why he's the all-rookie center fielder. At 21 years old, he's younger than Bobby Wood Jr. Let's not he's younger forget. than Vaughn Grissom. He's younger than his teammate. Unbelievable. Let's move to right field. The freak. Julio Rodriguez is the best. We moved him over to the right field, even though he's in the he's fifth in outs above average in center field. But we moved him over to right field so Michael Harris can play some center. Correct. But this freak can do everything everything and anything on a baseball field and looks like a bigger Ronald Acuna Jr. Right now, Julio Rodriguez has 19 home runs and 23 stolen bases. He could be a walking 30-30 guy in a decent year, but I would not be shocked to see 40-40 if he keeps running like he's doing. He's the best hitter on the Mariners. He is by WRC plus better than Ty France at 134. And he's in the 91st percentile and outs above averages is six foot three, 230 pound center field stallion. He hits the ball as hard as anyone. He runs as fast and he feels as well as any 21 year old that we've seen in a very long time. Acuna in 2019, when he was around 21 years old, had an 883 OPS with 41 home runs and 37 stolen bases, but was a below average fielder. I think we could see that from Julio Rodriguez next year as one of the better defensive outfielders. Julio Rodriguez, def- he was my number one prospect in baseball. Like, I'm not the biggest prospect guy as much as them, but I would pay attention to the top, tippity top. And I made my judgment on him because we were looking at his hitting stats compared to a guy like Wander Franco. The thing is, I didn't even expect that he was going to run like this. And he even defied what I thought while he was my number one prospect. He was not my rookie of the year pick because I never thought that he would burst onto the scene like this. But oh my God, this has been breathtaking of a season when he's at his best. Has he gone through some ups and downs? Certainly. He's a rookie and he's 21 years old at the end of the day. But at his peak... You're looking at a top 10 player in baseball, and I don't say that lightly. That's the kind of talent that he has. He's a Ronald Cooney Jr. is six foot, 210 pounds. Julio Rodriguez can do everything that he can do while playing a better defensive center field, and he's 6'3, 230. Yeah. That's why I use the Acuna comp over and over and over again. You look at percentile rankings, it's all the same shit, except Julio is bigger and a better defender. Yeah. Julio is a freak of nature um remember when he was like cold for two weeks after he was hurt yep uh he's got three three hit days in his last five games shocked 
No. Not even a little bit. He's so he's so fucking talented. He's so ridiculously talented. Real. Um, yeah, I, I'm with you. Like at as early as middle of next year, we could be saying, like, oh, Julio might be a top 10 player in the game. Um that's Julio. He's got some zone discipline things, like he swings yes. and misses a lot, but I'm he's Julio. He's Julio. And if we're looking at like, for example, he sits 309 off fastballs. Obviously, a guy like this is gonna crush fastballs. 244 batting average against breaking balls. And like, for example, the ex-Woba is better than the Woba, which you like to see. Means he's going to get maybe a little bit better based on those kind of stats. A little X, the one Jack loves. 255 off off speed, but in there, it's a little bit worse. Woba is much higher than the ex-Woba. He's got some things to work out. And I'm just giving you that stats. It's not very good analysis there. Like he's got a 40% whiff rate. I'm just not going to run through all the stats there. Like he's not... He's not hitting breaking balls like an Adley Rutschman is, for example. Like Adley's probably a safer hitter, but nobody d- hits the ball with freaking authority like Julio. Like Julio. Nobody runs like Julio. Like when you see 92nd percentile on average exit velo, 96th and max, and 94th and hard hit, like that's best hitters in baseball type shit. That's what they do. They hit the ball with extreme thump. But then you put in that he's one of the best defenders. You put in that he's in the 97th percentile on sprint speed. Suits a freak. He's a freak in nature. Yeah, 100%, man. Um, we'll we'll pick it up. We'll pick up the pace. I know we've already kept him for an hour. We'll pick up the pace on the pitchers. Uh, but before that, we've got a utility guy in Brendan Donovan that we got to talk about. Because Brendan Donovan, he, he's too good to leave off this list. And we were thinking like, okay, you know, maybe we do – uh, all the positions, but then we're missing this guy because, like, does he really have a position? Brendan Donovan has pretty much a 400 OBP, and he has played 13 games at first, 17 games at second, 23 games at third, seven at short, 16 and left, 16 and right, spent 11 games as the DH for the Cardinals. He's played everywhere. He's given him pretty solid defense everywhere like it's it's one of the chris bryant things where he's like an average defender kind of everywhere um i know outs above average doesn't really like him but he's been a fine defender pretty much everywhere he goes he walks all the time he doesn't strike out much at all he impacts the baseball enough and he like he is exactly what everybody needs in a bench utility bat and he's becoming one of the better utility bats in baseball and he's exactly what the cardinals need from him I wonder if he could develop into like a Ben Zobris type. I hope so. Like, I wouldn't be shocked. I mean, maybe he's not going to impact the baseball like you're saying. He's decently fast. He's only got two stolen bases this year. So and he's only got two pumps. He's got two homers, two stolen bases. The he's, counting stats hate his ass. <laughs> he's got a higher on-base percentage than he does a slugging percentage. But he's got an 800 OPS. I mean, Brendan Donovan OBP. Like, wouldn't you say Stephen Kwan has probably been the most underrated rookie? Brendan Donovan is probably second. Yeah. Yeah, because the game he plays is boring. Yes. He doesn't. But jump it's off good. But it's good, and he hits like second sometimes in the Cardinals lineup. Yeah, sometimes. I mean, that's the thing. Like that, you could argue the same thing about Tommy Edmond. The game he plays is boring, but it's good. If you like good. defense, then you love Tommy Edmond. If you like OBP, then you like Brendan Donovan. What they do is boring, but it's good. It's good. Good for you, Brandon Donovan. You deserve it. You just deserve to be on the all-rookie team because you earned it. You earned it. And you're not even an honorable mention. You freaking earned it. Freaking earned it. Let's get to uh, our first uh, starter. 
Spencer Strider is the best rookie pitcher in baseball. Dude throws cheese. 103 innings with 151 strikeouts. Next best is Joe Ryan with 135 strikeouts. And he's thrown 30 more innings. Every single peripheral stat. Love Strider even more than his 2.95 ERA, which is phenomenal. The XERA, 2.49. FIP, 2.06. XFIP, 2.51. Of rookie starters with over 100 innings pitched, only one has allowed less than 90 hits. Strider's allowed 68 hits. Let that sink in. Fastball slider combo, 98 at your neck. Mixes in with 86. Mixes in a how you doing changeup that he throws the lefties. And lefties can't touch it for shit. They get a 0.56 batting average against the pitch. Spencer Strider, while Michael Harris might be the rookie of the year, Spencer Strider is the favorite because he blows cheese. Was he making excuses against the Mets? Yeah, maybe. Was it a little, you know, hey, you shouldn't be doing that because he kind of called yourself out a month earlier than that? Yeah, probably. But just enjoy 98 in your neck because it's coming. And he's probably the second best pitcher on the Braves. You got Kyle Wright. You got Charlie Morton. Strider's probably the two, which is crazy because he, he barely pitched above double A. And now he's in the bigs. And now he's pumping straight heat at your neck. 102 thirds innings. Um under six hits per nine, 0.5 home runs per nine. Four-seam guy that doesn't get the ball hit out of the ballpark against him. That's six homers in 102 thirds innings. Uh, 13 and a half Ks per nine, three and a third walks per nine. You'll take three and a third walks per nine. Strider averaging 98 on his heater. Um, he threw 103 in the strike zone in yep. July. Yep. 103 in the strike zone. That's crazy. Um, he's got 3.3 F4 under his belt. Next best is the guy we're going to get to in a moment here at 1.7. That's double. He's been one of the best pitchers in the National League with two pitches. Yes. Yes. In terms of just like rookies or in terms of players as a whole, right? If we're looking at pitcher war, Strider is at 3.3, two-tenths of a win behind Shane McClanahan. And better than Garrett Cole and Framber Valdez and Joe Musgrove. Now, F4 is skewed a little bit. Like, Kevin Gosman has a 4-8. Yeah, he's... I don't even know what the hell that is. Because Kevin Gosman's got, like, a 0.45 for... no. I don't even know how that's even but, possible. But he's 13th. Like, Strider <laughs> yeah. is 13th among pitchers in F4. Been one of the best pitchers in baseball this year. Been one of the best pitchers in baseball. Second best rookie Jeez. pitcher. He's cheese. It's <laughs> at you. Second best rookie pitcher in baseball is a guy that we talked about often. Uh, George Kirby with Seattle is four pitches, any moment, not going to walk anybody. Kirby is as pleasing a pitcher to watch as we have in baseball right now. And it was tough sledding for Kirby, I think, at the beginning. He had an incredible first major league start. And then after that, he kind of tapered off like the stuff wasn't good enough. And he went down to Tacoma for a moment. He came back up. And what this guy has done in 17 starts, a 3-4-7 ERA, 93 strikeouts, 13 walks in 90 and two-thirds innings. That's 9.2 Ks per nine, 1.3 walks per nine. Kirby fills the strike zone with 96 and a tight slider and a tight curveball. And a good fading changeup. He's got every pitch at his disposal that he can go to at any moment. And he 
is going to be a starter in Major League Baseball for the next 15 to 20 years. That's exactly it. When I see George Kirby, I think to myself, man, he's not even really having that great of a year, right? He doesn't look like he's fully there yet with a 3.47 ERA, with a 3.41 X ERA. He's like, I almost think to myself, this is the worst we're ever going to see him. And he's got a below a 3.5. That's how good a guy like George Kirby can be because he's got strikeout stuff and he comes at you. But it's not that he just throws it in the middle of the zone. When you look at heat maps, his command is impeccable, Jack. I mean, his command is impeccable. He's throwing the fastball up in the zone. He's throwing the slider low and away to lefties on the back foot to righties, you know, just curving it in. The curveball's right in the middle of the zone. He's bouncing it. The changeup is away to righties into lefties. And he actually likes to throw the sinker up in the zone because it's got good movement. But everything is red right where he wants to throw it. It's not just he doesn't walk anybody. He has command within the strike zone, something that we talk about that is so important. It's one thing to throw strikes. It's another thing to put it where you want in the strike zone. And that's what George Kirby does, even at his worst. That's how good he could be. Because at his worst, he's a three four seven year old guy. Yeah, and, and I don't think he'll ever be the get wrecked with hard contact because he doesn't miss over the plate. And no. I don't think like I don't, I don't think he'll be missing enough to walk enough guys either. I don't think it's going to be the home run walk, blow up starts. I think it's going to be five singles in a row because guys are just timing up everything. Um, that's you never struggles. know what's coming. You never you know, never what's, know coming. what's coming with him. You're playing a guessing game with him, and they're all going to be quality pitches. Exactly. Um, I'm just worried that he might throw too many pitches in a, or too many strikes in a start, and guys will just be like, oh, yeah, I'm swinging every time. He's not perfect, but he's certainly better than he's Robbie close. Ray. He's not really. Robbie Ray is uh, decent over his last couple months, and he's got a thicky, yeah, a dumpster. Nice butt, Ray. All right. Give us our first reliever. Talking about thickies. Listed at six foot five, 190 pounds, which is the biggest lie in baseball. Yeah. Is Felix Bautista the best reliever of any rookie this season? 1.73 ERA. And he now transitioned to the closer role now that Jorge Lopez is gone and he's got eight saves already. When we look at a guy like Felix Batista, when we're talking about two pitches, right? Talking about a guy with two pitches. Hard to find a better combination of pitches than the Felix Batista four-seam heater at 99, where he's sitting off in triple digits. Then you look at the split finger that drops off the freaking table that opponents are hitting 075 against. He's thrown it 187 times this season. Five hits, 43 strikeouts, got a 54.7% whiff rate. Think about that for a second. Throws it, let's say he throws it 10 times. You're swinging and missing at it almost six times. That's how disgusting this pitch is. But he's also got a slider whenever he kind of wants to. Basically only throws it to right-handed bats. Um, but he can throw the split finger to anybody. 
This guy is so dirty. He's so big. And he's just got that dog in him. <laughs> Felix Bautista is one of my favorite relievers to watch pitch. I watch him often on the Orioles. Of relievers in the AL East. Is he the best of the bunch? I think so. At least this season. When you look at, you know, when, you know, it was Clay Holmes, but Felix Bautista over the full season has been just as good, if not better. When you look at the Red Sox, John Schreiber has been great, but I'm telling you, if I'm facing the Red Sox, I see him often. If I'm facing the Orioles, I see them often. Felix Bautista is better. He's you look at the Rays, scarier. way scarier. You look at the Rays, they got a bunch of different options there. And I've when Nick Anderson comes back, like he is so free. I'm excited to see a healthy Nick Anderson. He um, is so he, good. don't sleep on what Pete Fairbanks is doing. Really good too. They ain't Bautista. Yeah, they're not Felix Bautista. You're right. Like and, Nick and Anderson this- can be as effective, but yeah. Felix, nobody's like him. I mean, he's just he's not 190. He's like 250. Right. It's funny how quick um relievers pop onto the scene. Yeah. Yeah, and Bautista just popped onto the scene, like totally from from nowhere to one of the best relievers in baseball. Felix Bautista is on the scene. Did you mention the whiff rate on his splitter? Fifty four point seven percent. That's what I was saying. I was like, he throws it ten times. They're whiffing at it almost six times. It's so funny. Like that's hilarious. It drops off the table, and the the, the meaning of dropping off the table is the Felix Bautista split finger. Like Juan Duran for the Twins is very similar, but Bautista's is dirtier, I think. So he's got a twenty three hundred RPM fastball which is high-ish spin for a four-seam fastball. It's in the 73rd percentile. High-ish. His splitter is an 1,100 RPM splitter. So sick. The difference in profile on that is hilarious. One is clothesline. One is it just dies right on you. It's fart noise and drops off that clothesline that the fastball rides and on. And he throws it like in the high 80s. Like sometimes it touches 90. 88 on the splitter. And then, of course, 99 on the fastball. Yeah, it's it's one goes up. One goes up until it's not going up anymore. Exactly. And they're both hard. It's like, what do you do? Yeah. And then he'll just mix in a slider to say, fuck you. Like, I what? got that too. Just keep right. that in the back of your head. Exactly. Um. One guy that we did need to somehow include in this, like there was no shot that we couldn't include in this, uh, is Brock Burke uh, with the Texas Rangers. I mean, it's it's really hard to argue with what a one two five ERA is that what we're looking at right now with Brock Burke? Um, yeah, a, a one two five ERA, a point nine six WHIP, throwing a ninety five mile an hour heater. He mixes it well with a slider and a changeup, but. If you don't allow earned runs and you don't allow earned runs and Burke, he's just good, man. <laughs> like I, I, there's no necessarily rhyme or reason to why exactly he's good. Like the fastball. What? Guess where team he came from. Was he, I should know this. Was he in ball? No. Is he a Yankee? He's one of those freaking Tampa Bay Ray clones. Oh, he was a Tampa guy. Yeah, third round pick by Tampa. They saw something in him, and now Texas has him. And, like, uh, he's just good. Like, there's nothing that jumps out at you 
other than solid command. Um, you know, some of the peripherals are saying that, you know, this isn't fully real. Obviously. But there you what are you gonna do? What are you gonna yell at a one, two, five VRA? He doesn't really allow hard contact. He is a you know, he's a three-pitch guy that can mix in a sinker as well. And of the three pitches that he throws, the fastball, the slider, and the changeup. None of the pitches he's allowing over a 200 batting average against. And, and he can be a multi-inning guy, too, is the thing. 64 and two-thirds innings over 41 appearances. He is he is the exact middle reliever you want. He's like the better. He's one of the best middle relievers in baseball so far this year. It's really hard to argue with nine earned runs in, in 41 appearances. Um, he's 95. Like, he's averaging 94.9. I've seen him touch nine. I've seen him grab a seven. He's a lefty 6'4", 210, and grab sevens. What you don't like that? No, you don't like it. that. I like that. Um, that's it. That's the all rookie team. Real quick, how do you feel about the fellatio incident in Oakland? <laughs> Let's read some of these TikToks. So, if you haven't heard the story, on Sunday there was a there were there the was Coliseum. a man and a woman. There was a yeah. man and a woman that loved each other very much. Uh, in the top row, in the corner, in the left field corner of the Oakland Coliseum. And the woman was servicing the man because they love each other so much. Let's read some of the comments. Okay. Most exciting thing to happen at an A's game all season. Most shocking thing is two people showing up to an A's game. Okay. Not that many people got to witness it. Yeah. Just move them to Vegas already. <laughs> um, That'll happen more often in Vegas, I think. Yes. There was some really good ones. The caption is way disrespectful to the 2023 Cy Young winner JP Sears. <laughs> <laughs> she was praying. Come on. Yeah, praying for an A's W. Praying for an A's W. I feel like maybe some comments got deleted. There was some early comments that was over um When the job's got to get done, it's got to get done. Oh, <laughs> all right. Let's stop that. <laughs> Oakland police are investigating an incident on Sunday's A's game at the Coliseum as a possible lewd act in public. Social media video clip shows that two people involved in a possible sexual act in the top row of the section in right field, tweeted by the Sporting Green SF. Um, that's what we got for you, folks. There's a woman. It's all consensual. Enjoying an A's game. Oakland A's baseball live laugh love. Um, Go get yourself right. some merch. It's in the episode description. Use code just baseball when you're dealing with prize picks. Also, the link to our chalkboard group group chat is all in there. We'll be back tomorrow. The mailbag. Don't forget. Go check Twitter. I bet it's on as you're listening to this. Arm and I will be on the mailbag tomorrow, and we have a very, very special guest coming on Friday's episode. One of the biggest guests to ever join the Just Baseball Show. And with that, thank you, everybody.